0: Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, m-a-c-u-u-f-dot-org, And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. As I mentioned earlier, we are delighted to have with us as our guest speaker today, Rabbi Deborah Kolodny. Uh, Rabbi Deborah is a passionate advocate for justice. She's a teacher, she's an in-demand speaker. And among other worthy activities, she is a founding rabbi of Unshul, which is a Jewish community in Portland that shows up for the causes of racial, economic, and immigrant justice. Please give Rabbi Deborah a warm BUFM welcome. So I thought I was coming to McMinnville, but I think I took a wrong turn and landed up in Lake Wobegon, where all the children are about (laughs) to So tell me, what shall I do with these hands of mine? The world could use a hero of the human kind. Great choice. Um, I want to begin with reflecting on um, one of the joys and sorrows that was lifted up, El Paso and Dayton, 29 currently is the death count. And um, I, want an offer, I want to offer up an invitation. My uh, conversation with you today is going to be about personal ethical development, but I want to invite you as we have this conversation to think beyond your own consciousness and your own relationships with your family and your friends and your community here in McMinnville. But um, think how these principles might be able to be applied in the civic and uh, political realm as well. So I come to you today in the midst of a period called the three weeks before the Jewish Holy Day of Tisha B'Av, when we remember the destruction of the first temple and the second temple in Jerusalem where Jews were sent into exile. And it is said of the destruction of the second temple that the reason was that Sinat Chinam controlled our consciousness, that baseless hatred had run amok amongst the Jews. And so we lost the place, we lost the edifice where God came to dwell in our midst, that concentrated energy, force, that helped us remember where we came from and who we were. It certainly seems like we're living in those times today. I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume I'm not the only person in this room who's heard of the secret and the law of attraction. Raise your hand if you've heard of one. Thank God, I'm not the only one. Spiritual rules of the universe from the new age that teach us that we manifest what we think about and what we say and that instruct us to turn our attention to love and abundance and hope in hopes that we will bring those into being. This morning, I want to share with you that I believe in the power of the human mind, but there are limits to the power of any one individual because there are systems and structures and institutions and pathogens, all of which are functioning with their own agendas, most of which are larger than any one, of our, any one of ourselves. And of course, in my belief system, there's also God or Yah. So we're not the only ones in charge. So we live in a complicated world. What can we do? <coughs> Today, I want to offer up a Jewish take on the law of attraction, which is not that we manifest what we say, but we manifest what we pray, what do I mean? If you grammarians in the room wanted to diagram the Jewish morning prayer service that was established in the eight or nine hundreds, just like we used to diagram sentences, do we still do that? No, I don't think so, I'm, I'm aging myself. (laughs) We find that that prayer service is not just a random conglomeration of words or prayers or psalms that are pretty or that felt good or that had great music attached to it um, or that were relevant for a particular week because something happened that week that felt important. Um, The sages established this particular sequence of prayers to focus and attune our mind upon awakening. If you take a look at it, you find that it's a series of what I consider to be mantras, aligning the Jewish consciousness with the three following themes. One, bless Yah for all the gifts that we get to experience on the daily. Two, praise Yah for Yah's greatness, healing power, wisdom, strength, holiness, alignment with goodness, and three, thank Yah for the same. Hmm. Blessing, praising, thanking. Sounds all kind of connected. And they are. They are. It's all good for one thing. Um, Let me break it down for you a little, though. Um, First, we bless our maker for all that's wonderful. The blessing part is all about Yah. It's not about ourselves. We take our ego out of the equation. And then we praise Yah which is different than blessing because in praising we get specific and we talk about exactly what it is that we feel is worthy of blessing. So blessing is kind of like this emotional or maybe soul-based thing that's happening and praising is a cognitive thing. And then... We offer gratitude, which is actually all about us. It's the state of our soul and our heart. It's the, what we're left with as a result of all the blessing and the praising. All right. Got that? So we are training our consciousness to blessing, to praising, and to thanking. And then, on top of that, three days a week, Jews study Torah together not just on our Shabbat, which was yesterday, but also on, uh, on Mondays and Thursdays. I see this practice as an entrainment of our consciousness so that we sublimate our own ego and look for wisdom outside of ourselves. So we look for wisdom in ancient texts, We look for wisdom in our communal conversation. We look for wisdom from whoever may be preaching that day. We learn to be humble and we learn to be intradependent. We learn we can't figure it out all by ourselves. We don't think that what's happening now is smarter than what used to happen, that we need to be backwards compatible in order to get all the clarity and wisdom we need. And essential to all of these entrainment practices are a specific handful of psalms that our sages chose out of the 150 psalms in the canon to highlight those four practices. These psalms get very specific about how we're supposed to function in the world, how we're supposed to behave, what it means to behave with gratitude, praise, blessing, and humility. One of my favorites, because I think it kind of captures all of these ideas at once, is Psalm 34. And in English, the words that I want to focus on say, who is the person who wants life, who desires days of seeking good? Never let your tongue speak evil, nor your lips pronounce deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now just imagine, if everyone in this room used this psalm as their morning entrainment exercise for your consciousness, and everyone in McMinnville did it, and everybody in Oregon did it, and everybody in the United States did it, just imagine. In Hebrew, the words sound like this. <clears throat> O oh, 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 hev yamim, o oh, hev yamim, lir o tov. Nedzor leshon chamehra uzfatecha. Now. How are we supposed to live into this instruction? To turn away from evil and to do good and seek peace and pursue it and never, ever, ever let our tongue speak evil? Oh Lord, we need that now everywhere in every one's lips. There are many approaches. To the work of ethical development in the Jewish tradition. One of them is called Musar. And um, what this tradition invites us to do is specifically cultivate traits that we want to improve on. Lots of us say, all right, we're going to pick a trait for a whole year, because believe it or not, picking a trait for 10 minutes doesn't actually get us to the perfection of that, or even get us to improve it much. Thanks for laughing. So, (laughs) yeah, you can laugh at any time. Hopefully it's at the right time. All right, so, there are dozens and dozens of specific ethical characteristics that uh, the Mushler tradition lifts up. I'm gonna just name a few, and in a moment, we're gonna take a little bit of time of reflection for you to pick one. And think about if you want to spend the next week or month or year working on that, how would you do that? All right, so one of them is called hakarat hatov, awaken to the good and give thanks, right out of the morning liturgy, hakarat hatov. The second, I'm gonna give you 10. You'll never remember all of them. I'll do it twice, don't worry. The second is anava, which means humility. Also, as I already mentioned, kind of taken out of our morning practice uh, uh, that happens three times a week around studying. Little bit more explanation, it means occupy a rightful space, neither too much nor too little. Focus on your own virtues and not on the faults of others beautiful Hasidic story about this is that in, um, in the Rebbe's home when he had people over to study with him, his Talmidim, his students, they would sit according to their mastery of the text. So perhaps those who were older who'd been studying for longer would sit closer to the Rebbe. And those who were not more novice would sit further away. And it was just as problematic to sit too far from the Rebbe to denigrate yourself as it was to sit too close. Can you imagine (laughs) every time you go to study with your teacher, everybody's like checking out? Are you too close? Are you far away? (laughs) But it gives you a lot of time to practice with accountability because everybody's checking in. In addition to what comes out of our liturgy, there are other traits like savlanut, which is patience, remembering uh, that whatever may obstruct us from reaching our goals, it's possible, instead of getting anxious and impatient about it, to just witness it and wait. A fourth that I love is rachamim, compassion, kindness, empathy, and care, arising from really tuning into the feeling of others. Another is menuchat ha-nefesh, which is a restful soul, literally, but it's equanimity. So all of you who thought that Judaism was a Western tradition, like we are right there with the Eastern traditions, like let's be centered, let's be still, let's find that place of rising above the good or the bad. Now here's what's really hard about this one. We are not supposed to get, feel pleasure from being praised. Just like we're not supposed to get down on ourselves from critique, we're supposed to accept any response to us with equanimity, with a witness mind. Yeah, I worked on that for so many years. So, forget one year, so many years. I'm still working on it. (laughs) Another is kavod, which means honor, behave as if if each and every person is a holy soul. Another, histap kut, simplicity, be content with your portion. Another nedivut, generosity. Another emet, always be in truth. Did you know that researchers have found that the average human lies hundreds of times a day? Is that mind boggling? Yeah, once I learned that, I started checking in on myself. I know I don't lie hundreds of times a day, but every once in a while, I'll realize, wait a minute. That, was, that wasn't exactly right. And I said it out loud. What was that about? Hmm, yeah. The last um, that I want to lift up today is which means responsibility. Do what is yours to do. All right. Now, I just gave you 10, and there's dozens, and you can find books on this, and if you want to get in touch with me, send me an email, I can send you some book resources if people are interested. You might want to start up a MUSAR group, an ethical development group that meets once a week. You can give support to one another on this work. The important thing is not to get overwhelmed because the work is endless. So, I already mentioned, equanimity was one that I spent a lot of time on and savlanut, patience was another. Let me give you some examples of how I work this. For equanimity, Every morning, I affirmed that I was committed to growing the trait. so like a little mantra word. Like I got up in the morning, I said my morning blessings, and I'm like, okay, menucha hanafesh, here I come. I asked for help from Yah in my prayers and in my meditations. And then if I noticed that the opportunity arose for me to be more chill, if I was getting upset or agitated, then I was committed to interrupting myself. It was really easy. I could just use the word. You could use the word in English equanimity, you know, or if you like Hebrew. <laughs> and I talked to myself. I said, Dab, you're reacting. You're not responding here. Take a few breaths. And after those breaths, I would say to myself, Dab, let's look at this situation as a witness instead of as an actor. What do you see? And after I got really calm and really clear, I asked myself, Deb, is it possible that this is happening for you and not to you? Or is it possible that this is really not very important? Or is it possible that this traffic will end and you'll get where you need to go and you'll just get there when you get there? (laughs) We can all relate to that. Can you release it and move on? Learn its lesson and see, see it as neutral. Instead of horrible, or even fantastic. Really, like, not being lured into my emotional state, being connected to what was going on around me. I could feel fantastic whether or not something fantastic happened. Oh, yeah, that's the important part about not, like, getting excited when something good comes your way. To be in charge of your own mind state. Okay, does that all make sense? Mm -hmm. All All right. So I'm going to list these again, and I'm going to invite you to think, and these are just 10, there's like hundreds, right? And just don't overthink it, don't like process it, just like as you hear a word, if you're like, oh yeah, then that's yours. And if I go through 10, and I'm going to do it twice, and nothing shows up for you, try humility. So glad you laughed. Right. Awaken to the good and give thanks. Humility, patience, compassion, equanimity, honoring each and every one, simplicity, generosity, truth, responsibility. If you don't have one picked out yet, raise your hand. Oh, right, oh, I will say them again then. Okay, I thought maybe I I didn't need to. If you already know what it is, just meditate on that thought and ways that you might interrupt yourself during the day to help yourself. Awaken to the good and give thanks. Humility, patience, compassion, equanimity, Honoring each and every one, simplicity, generosity, truth, or responsibility. All right. So is there anybody who wants to be brave enough to either ask a question about how this might work, as specific as possible if you feel comfortable revealing your quality that you're gonna work on? Or do you have just a comment you wanna make about how you have done this work in the past, really short comment where it was helpful. Questions or really short comments? Yes? I wanted to ask about equanimity. Uh huh. Just They're one really second, really we'll, we'll get a microphone. Oh, sorry. Um, equanimity. And... We're going to get you a microphone. So far, what's been said is equanimity. <laughs> thank you. And tell me your name. Oh, I'm Linda. Linda, great, thank you. And so the difference between reality. Respond. Uh huh. Those are the words I think. Yes. Can you kind of do that yep. one more? Fantastic. That is such a great question. So when I'm reactive, what I notice is that um, I have a flare of emotion, which could be anger or impatience, and that flare, oh, uh, pretty much universally emerges because there is a trigger implanted in me that has been stimulated. And so the largeness of my reaction is not is coming not just from the moment, but also from uh, past experience or trauma or um, wound or grief that has been re-stimulated. So there's a flare, that's like the best way. Response is measured, response is hearing whatever's come, or experiencing whatever's coming at you and really having this witness stance of looking at it and being able to say, oh, this is happening. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Very different than what, right? And um, from that, isn't that interesting, maybe taking a few breaths, so there's very slow response as opposed to a fast response. And um, a way you can tell if you're responding instead of reacting is the person who you might be talking to Feels comfortable, at ease, and safe with whatever you're saying. With no, and doesn't feel judged. So they might feel uh, challenged to in- explore something, like, or inspired to explore something, but they don't feel judged or blamed. Yeah. Great, yeah. This is uh, this is not for uh, the, the faint of heart. This is hard work. <laughs> Any, uh, anybody else? Yes, and tell me your name. Lorraine. My name's Lorraine. Um, of all you said, what I heard the loudest was be satisfied with your portion. Mm. Now I don't know which word, because I can apply that to many of those words. Mm. we'll reach back mm-hmm. and tell me. Yeah, so I'm wondering if I think simplicity is probably the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, simplicity. That's what I So there's actually, there's this whole simplicity movement afoot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And part of that is, um, it's almost the contrary to law of attraction, instead of like, if you think about being rich, you're gonna be rich, you know, you'll make a lot of money, it's experience the richness that's in your life. Um, You don't need to draw anything to you. So, ugh, that morning coffee, you know, the lilac that you planted that's blooming. One more question. All right. Oh yes. Yeah, I Go ahead. I wanted to ask a little more about what you said about responsibility—is to do what is yours to do. Yes. Um, because. I've felt, and I think a lot of my friends now feel like we have to do everything, mm. and and everything is just being destroyed, and we have to do something about this, and then the next minute we have to do something about that, and you know, can you talk a little more about what's yours to do? Yeah. First of all, I want to say that when I was asked to come here, I said, you know, what I love teaching about is the Hebrew Scriptures as a recipe for being a social justice, an effective social justice warrior, and whoever I talked to who isn't here today said, oh no, I don't think that would go over in this congregation, so. Yeah. <laughs> so when you ask that question, I'm like, "Bomb air! <laughs> All right, um, yeah, so, what I, I'll, I'm gonna tell you what I have figured out for myself, so it's not the answer, it's just my answer in this moment, because of course, I've had the same experience. I noticed that every person of goodwill I knew is rushing to every rally and every vigil and every march and um, every canvas and, and writing every letter and it is impossible to do it all. So, I decided that what was mine to do was uh, to show up when there was a specific goal attached to an event or an action that was that could be achieved and that had Um, an array of strategic um, actions that were supporting it. And I got that recipe from the Civil Rights Movement. So here's the example. When the Woolworths counters were desegregated, it wasn't because there were marches. It was because there were people who learned how to do civil disobedience and be beat up and spit on and abused at those counters and they performed that civil disobedience and there were mass mobilizations and there were negotiations with the CEO at at Woolworth and there were lawsuits and probably more. So there was this array of strategic campaign and in less than a year that lunch counter was desegregated. So that's what I mean when I say I actually don't show up. I'm not going to go to the vigil on Tuesday night in Portland for the victims of the El Paso and Dayton shootings. I feel very powerfully aggrieved. I feel overwhelmed. But there's only so much that I can do. And that, to me, will not affect change. It might comfort my soul, but right now my soul doesn't need comforting. My soul needs to work for gun. Uh, Frankly, gun prohibition would be like what I would say. but And in the state of Oregon, you know, eliminating open carry laws, you know, whatever. So I say, what's the act for me? It's what is the action I can take that's going to achieve a specific goal that's actually gonna help the problem? Long answer, great question. Thank you. Alright, we can have more conversation, but I was, I think I've already hit my 20 minute mark, so let me continue. I have a few more things to say. So as we go into this work, which is hard enough, I'm going to go back to the difference between reactivity and responsiveness and say <coughs> that that uh, Urge to be reactive exists in all of us because all of us are walking wounded and all of us have those places where we're, <clears throat> you know, except the Dalai Lama, maybe. I think the Dalai Lama has figured it out. So I want to hand over a spiritual, specific spiritual practice given to us by Rabbi uh, Kalman Kalanimus Shapira, who is affectionately known as the Piazzatine Rebbe, um, who was the rabbi in the Warsaw Ghetto. We know what the Warsaw Ghetto is, right? So this man had the responsibility for spiritual care for people who were living in this tiny overcrowded space with no health care, with insufficient water, no ability to shower, insufficient food, who knew at some level that they were gonna get on a train to their death. You know, there's different stories about how much people knew. It was horrible, right? So um, he wrote this book called B'nai Mach Shabbat, which is translated as um, Conscious Community. And I lift up this work because if ever this work feels too daunting for you, I mean, what I do when I feel like it's too daunting, I I say, you know, if they could do this in the Warsaw ghetto. (laughs) Like, I have no excuse to abstain from this work. So. What the Piazzettes now taught is that when a profound feeling of sadness wells up, and I would add when that trigger wells up, maybe it's agitation or fear or anxiety or anger, we have, we can see that moment of reactivity as a gateway to the divine. We can align our mundane state of mind to the soul's larger perspective, the soul being one with Yah. And he said, even if the immediate cause for the dejection is a business disappointment, you know something maybe out of your control, I would add a familial or congregational disappointment or frustration. Go off, find a private place, and pray. And you don't have to believe in God to pray. I know who I'm talking to. You don't have to believe in God to pray, you can pray to the universe. And ideally, he said, you should recite a psalm that has a bearing on your situation, and for you, you could um, pick something out of your hymnal that's a favorite um, comfort hymn. So step one, go to a private spot and witness your feelings and feel them fully. So <laughs> step one is extract yourself from the situation. So don't be react. Don't ooze out on everybody. Step two, recite that hymn or psalm. So allow something outside of yourself to help you. You're not alone. You don't have to do this work alone. There's many wonderful psalms, but I'm going to skip by those because you, you have your own canon of music. Step three, pray in your own words for help. The Pia Zessner said, you can't just rush home from work and start saying words without paying attention to your feelings. You have to feel your feelings. So take some time and concentrate on the problem. Maybe its situation is really serious. It troubles you so much it's become a real obstacle. To whom can you turn? The Holy One holds the world in their hands. Go to God now. Approach the sovereign. And for you, if you don't believe, there's a sovereign. If you believe in the universe or you believe in creation or you believe in collective consciousness, whatever you believe in that's bigger than you, go to that. And sing that psalm or that hymn. And then pray in your own language about the situation, what is troubling you, why it's troubling you, what your feelings are and feel your thoughts clarify and clarify and clarify. And then after you speak, be silent and see if anything arises, either from within or outside of you to give you more clarity than your mind could have, could have given you. Allow your intuition or something in the universe to speak to you and see if you get clarity. I love the questions I asked before, so I add those questions to the P.S. practice. How is this happening for me and not to me is a great one. At the end of it, seal it with another hymn, the same hymn, another psalm, the same psalm. I love Psalm 23. Yah is my shepherd, I shall not want, I have nothing to fear because Yah is with me really feel that the force of the universe is with you. The Piazzetra says you will feel satisfaction and joy as you say this. Indeed, Yah is with you. These few moments as you express the simple truth in your heart are moments of elevation and grace. Whatever it was that triggered you was the gateway to elevation of consciousness enlightenment state if you want to think of it that way huh you might be excited the next time something triggers you ah oh, doorway to god stairway to heaven you know let me go to my let me go to my meditation spot right your whole day is affected you will continue he says to feel spiritual grace and clarity and peace your soul he says was in heaven today What could compare with that? Thank Yah in your own words. And then he says, as an ongoing matter, it's not enough. The goal is to imagine that you're in the presence of the divine at every moment. That presence is within you, that presence is within everyone you encounter. That presence is within all of creation. This practice is a first step to entraining your mind to that. So take a moment to think about something that triggers you. And because this isn't a therapy session, I'm not gonna ask you to grow it and then talk about it out loud. (laughs) But think about something you might go home with and try this practice with. As we bring this to a close, I realize you might be thinking, "Ugh, this is so much work. And it is. Well, what's the payoff? Let's return to Psalms. Psalm 92 has a verse that says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit even in old age. They shall be fresh and full of sap to declare that the Lord is upright. Yah is my rock in whom there is no unrighteousness. What is the reward? Flourishing happiness an elimination of unrighteousness. 100th monkey theory says, enough of us humans get this right, and we change the world. May we all commit to being our best, to doing the holy and effective work of ethical development, and as a result, may we all flourish in creativity and vitality and satisfaction of a life well lived. Thank you. Thank you.